From the valleys of Tennessee and breaking through the barriers of perceived reality, this is a special edition of The Far Side. Today, we have on former Coast to Coast AM weekend host, Ian Punnett. Let's bring Ian on the line. Hello? Hi, this is Ian. Hey, Ian, how are you? Good. I've been listening to you since, I guess it was 1998. Yikes, that's about right. Yeah. yeah. Sometime sometime in there. Yeah, maybe I think I think I started regularly in early 99, but yeah, it was I think I may have been like my first appearance in 98 or something like that. Yeah. What was that experience like for you to be on Coast to Coast and how did you get onto the program? Well, I was working for Clear Channel Corporate. I was just at one of the Clear Channel stations in uh, Atlanta. And I was kind of a square peg there in the sense that I wasn't doing the kind of table pounding conservative talk radio that most of the other people on that station were doing at the time. But we were a coast affiliate. And I had done some outside work for Clear Channel Corporate before when they were looking for somebody that was objective, somebody that wasn't quite in the mold of um, their typical talk show host. Mm -hmm. So I had a reputation within the company as being actually somebody who didn't quite fit. Um, (laughs) And, and yet that, that worked well for coast because whereas I was a misfit in the opinion driven aspect of the, the, you know, the corporate folder, I was a, I was I was really kind of um, oddly suited for an objective show that wasn't politically driven like Coast to Coast. Mm-hmm. So as Clear Channel took over a little bit more, Clear Channel slash Premier Radio Networks had taken over the Coast to Coast show from the original uh, producer owners. They were looking to put more people in the chair for the nights when art couldn't make it. And they were looking to put more people in there that could handle things a little bit more like the way that a radio show should be run. And not, not all of the replacements who had filled in for art were going over well with the audience. Some Mm. of them were, some of them were great. Hilly Rose was terrific, but they were looking to try to polish up, um, the presentational style of the show. And so that's, that's how it came about. They were looking to put somebody in there that could drive the show a little bit more like talk radio traditionally is driven, but also fit within, you know, the science, the religion, the alternative subjects of uh, coast to coast. Yes. And while you were at coast to coast, did you broaden your horizon with all the topics you were bringing in? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a really good point. I, I, that's one of the things I enjoyed about listening to coast to coast. I was already a listener. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I had, had had some experience with the paranormal myself. Um, but I was also challenged by some of the topics cause they were just so outside of the mainstream for me. And so it really got me to think about things that I hadn't considered before, and so all this time I'm going to seminary that I'm doing coast to coast, and I found myself 
sort of importing into seminary some <laughs> of my coast to coast conversations and some of the research I was doing in coast to coast. I thought it was a really good fit, actually. Mm. When we last heard from you on coast to coast, you were leaving because you had a severe case of tinnitus. Yeah, yeah, tinnitus or tinnitus. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm southern, so I'll butcher anything really. No, that's all right. <laughs> you, you get you, and and the uh, and they're both pronunciations are acceptable, but. Yeah. And a lot of people are wondering, how are you doing today? Oh, you know, it has just been, it's it's a pleasure to not start every day with four hours of headphone time. Mm-hmm. When that was my problem, I, I was creating a, um, I was exacerbating the problem every day and then spending the rest of the day trying to undo mm-hmm. the bells that I'd been ringing. And so, you know, tinnitus being what it is, um, it, it, it has an effect on your concentration level. Um, it can be very distracting when it comes to sleep, uh, relaxation. It, it, it has a way of being very intrusive into all aspects of your life. And, and so here it was, I was making it just uh, about half of my day was just miserable. Mm. And then the other half of the day I was spent trying to make it less miserable. And that's why we just had to kind of pull the plug on all of the uh, audio input. And I, I cut down my hours on my weekday show. I cut out almost all of the coast to coast work. And then I stopped doing the weekday show altogether. And then I stopped doing coast to coast. And now with all of that not happening, my life is a lot easier. I understand. When I started doing this show, it's just a podcast, but I've got the uh, professional headset, kind of, I guess, like you would wear at Coast to Coast. Mm-hmm. When I started doing this, my ears would start, start ringing for hours upon hours to the point where my mind was just throbbing. Yeah. And this is, this is your body telling you something. And I, I think if we can take a second and just remind people what you know, kind of tinnitus is nothing more than dead nerve cells, audio nerve cells, and the brains attempt to try to reconnect with them. That's it. it it's not an external noise. It's nothing that you can, nothing you can stop by pouring maple syrup in your ear or anything <laughs> like that. There's, which is, there's one of the over-the-counter medicines, which is basically just like pouring sugar in your ear. Um, and it doesn't, it, it's not that. It is a neurological condition where whether it's through um, excessive noise exposure, whether it's through age, whether it's through, in my case, it was probably a combination of age, noise exposure, and um, I had taken an experimental antibiotic I was given by my doctor that had caused um, a really terrible bout of uh, tinnitus that never really quite went away and then just got progressively worse. Mm. Um, Whatever it is, the brain is making up that sound. So if you you found that you've been cranking a lot of headphones, you can, over time, kill off nerve cells – and then the brain is still trying to take inventory. It's still trying to it's essentially taking attendance and it's sending out a signal to those dead nerve cells. And when they don't respond, the brain makes up a noise. Hmm. Um, and that's uh, that's uh, tinnitus. I used to think that might have been a sign of hearing loss, but it's not, is it? It can be. Can be? It, it can be. Yeah. It, it can go hand in hand with hearing loss you know, in the, in the sense of dead nerve cells, but sometimes you can kill, you can damage your ears and suffer hearing loss 
that tends out that turns out to be temporary, but the but the tinnitus never goes away. Mm-hmm. So there are people, and I'm one of them, who has worse tinnitus than I have hearing loss. Mm. I started to experience this when I was a child. I was probably eight years old. Back then, I would pretend I had spider sense. Mm. Like, my spider sense is going off. Because <laughs> right. th- th- that's what it seems like when you're a child. No, no, I get that. And and I, I had never really experienced tonight, except for maybe the occasional rock concert or something when you walk away going, well, that was loud. But <laughs> I, I didn't have that problem until that really until it, it, it's onset. And when it, when it came on, it came on fairly fast and started taking over. Um, and that was disruptive. And, and uh, I did everything. I went to every doctor. I tried every, um, every recommended treatment. Some people called them cures. Um, the, the best thing I've been able to do is just control the audio in my world, in my environment. Mm-hmm. And I do uh-huh. And I, I'm very effective that way. I have a lot of white noise filters up. I don't. Uh, I, t- I listen to a lot of um, non-melodic ambient music, which is a distracting technique. It's called TRT, and and you do that just to take your your brain off the attention off the tinnitus. It doesn't stop the tinnitus, but you just don't notice it so much. Mm. I, I do methods like that. Hmm. Interesting. You were in Minnesota at one time for a long time, actually. And now I think you've gone elsewhere to the Walter Cronkite School of Broadcasting. That's right. I have. Uh, um, in fact, I, that's when I know you're Southern is when you say more like school than school. Yeah. Because I, yes. I lived in Tennessee and I picked that up. It was, it was always funny. There's a difference in my mind between my mother was was from the south, and most of my mother's people are from the south. And there's a difference to me between southern and country, and, and <laughs> that usually it's the word school that tells you whether you're on the borderline between stuff. <laughs> um, so I am. Uh, I, I lived in Minnesota for about 12 years, and I moved a year ago to Phoenix where I started uh, my studies toward my PhD at the uh, Cronkite School of uh, Journalism and Mass Communications. It's part of ASU, but it's on a separate campus. Um, It's in downtown Phoenix. What are your plans once you graduate? Are you wanting to get back into radio? No, I can't. I really can't. I'm just not going to. I mean, I, I, I could still be in radio now. I've had some kind offers for people to participate, but it just doesn't make any sense to keep dancing with the devil on mm. that. I, I want to hear the, the, uh, I want to hear the giggles of my grandchildren someday. Oh, so I understand that. I don't want to, I don't want to risk anymore. Um, but I, you know, whether I'd be involved some in some peripheral capacity, I guess it's always possible, but not in, in any way that would require performance. Um, it, I'm looking at communications now in kind of a big picture way. Um, I'm, looking at communications theory more than um, the uh, kind of the X's and O's of communication per se, where, you know, I'm, I, I still keep in touch with all of my friends who are doing radio shows. My wife still does a, a radio show every day. So I enjoy hearing my friends do it, but um, the kinds of things I'm looking at are communications, maybe with a capital C and looking at things a little, um, a little differently, whether that, in the end would lead me back to the a campus somewhere where I mm-hmm. would teach or whether I would get into um, a corporate consultancy when it comes to communications. 
I'm not sure yet. Would you consider something like a television series where it would be, if you remember, sightings or unexplained mysteries? Ah, sure. I love those things. Yeah, you know, it, it, over the years, um, I've had a, a chance to be involved with them a little bit. And I, I, there's only one problem with series like that, is that, that new things don't happen fast enough. Mm. And so many shows have just rehashed the same stories, and they do their own versions and their own reenactments. But... Um, there there aren't nearly there isn't nearly enough new material out there i think to justify a whole new series but if somebody were working on it i'd be very interested if nothing else just to watch it i i'm involved in te in television productions i've done two or three um i think i guess three uh arts presentations some of which have run on pbs nationwide so I, i've been a bit involved in in um that kind of thing uh but nothing yet other than just sort of on the on the uh on the edge of the paranormal mm. uh, i do want to tell you that i run a forum called beyonddarkmatter.com it was based on art bell's newest program sure and I was telling some people in private that I, were, I was going to have you on, and they just wanted me to tell you they miss you and they love you. That's nice. Thank you. It's nice to be missed. It really is. I mean, that matters. So thank you. It feels good to, to have, you know, I had a lot of equity on that show, and I, I, I feel like I, you know, I, there was a lot of years in there um, mm -hmm. when I was, had the opportunity to work with Art, and then I had the same opportunity to work with George, and they were both super good to me. And I really liked. Um, I I, re I was really glad to see that Art was kind of staying in the game a little bit. What's he What's he doing now? Do you know? Right now, he is simply waiting out his contract for Sirius XM. He was on. I don't know if you know this or not, but he was on Dark Matter. Yeah, I, I followed a little bit of that controversy. I heard a bit, one or two of his podcasts after the whole thing. Yes. And right now he's just simply waiting it out. And as far as I'm aware, he wants to come back September 2015 with a podcast. Good. Well, I, I hope this time he can control it the way he wants to, and um, he can do it the way he wants. I, you know, I, I, I really, I like what he does, and he's 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 so good for both radio and now new forms of radio. Uh, and I, I think it's a, it's, it, it's a tribute to podcasting or for, you know, uh, the internet radio stations to be able to have somebody with his, with his marquee value. And I think that's, uh, going to be good for everybody to have art back up again and, and, uh, doing a show. Oh, truly. He is the art of talk as he calls himself. Yeah, I read that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, I, I was, I, I did think it was unfortunate that, that turned into kind of a war with coast to coast. Oh, I know the coast to coast audience is, you know, really ultimately faithful to the topics, to the subject matter, and I, I, I hope that there's room for for both the uh, George and, and Art in their hearts. Yeah, it, it, in my opinion, a show like Coast to Coast, it's like a comic book series. Mm. Say, Amazing Spider-Man started by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. It continued being popular no matter who the writer and artist was, because the topic was what everybody was coming for. Yeah, that's and interesting. I, and I know you love comic books, right? I do. In fact, uh, Comic-Con is uh, going on this particular weekend that we're talking um, in Phoenix, and I was just looking at 
on the list of who's coming in for this particular Comic-Con, trying to figure out if I could fit it into my schedule. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been, but I would love to go to the San Diego. Yeah, I've been to New York. And um, I've been to I've been to two or three of them around the country. Uh, New York was super cool. That was an amazing Comic Con. And one day I'll get to San Diego. But um, but Phoenix is is actually taking on a. uh, I mean, it's grown to a full four day event at one of the largest convention centers, and that's saying a lot because there are a lot of them in Phoenix. And it um, it has the original Batman and the original. Um, Robin in this weekend and hmm. the original Catwoman was coming in for it and and uh, but Nathan Fillion and a bunch of other sci-fi stars um, it was cool it looked like it was getting um, uh, and they were expecting somewhere in the area of maybe 90,000 people wow yeah so that's uh, that event has come a long way I, I like smaller crowds I don't know about you yeah I don't you're right I'm not crazy about those large crowds but I, I am crazy about what a large crowd like that might attract in terms of vendors. Because mm-hmm. I hate going to a Comic-Con and not seeing anything cool or not seeing something that I couldn't just get off the internet where I really want to see somebody that's got something that's really different. And that's what intrigues me about what's going on. Uh-huh. You know, thinking now, in Punnett at a Comic-Con, would you or would you not dress up? Oh, I, I can't do cosplay. No, <laughs> it's not... Uh, I, I, in fact, I uh, but I admire the people who do, especially the women who do. I, I get a kick out of that. You know, there's this whole kind of um, geek chic thing that goes on at these uh, uh, at these events, and and I, what I see is, and I saw it last night when I was walking my dog late at night, and so some of the some of the early participants who are already dressed and then hitting the bars last night were going out in the streets when I was walking my dog late, and they. What I see is, and I, I really admire it, is a lot of women who ordinarily might not go the route of something, you know, sexy or playful. I mean, they seem more like they might be in 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 more um, conservative jobs or something like that. But they go so crazy, and it's so much fun to see them when they're walking around the streets, you know, dressed as poison ivy <laughs> or something. <laughs> And it's one of the women was last night. And I think she just probably does not dress like that very often. She was working it. She was totally working it. And, the, and everybody on the street was going crazy for her. I think if I were to dress up, I would dress up as Batman. But my problem is I would get into the row. So I would go hopping from rooftop to rooftop trying to fight crime. So the next day you'll probably see my picture on the newspaper, either dead or arrested in the Batman costume. Oh, that's and I, I'm sure you could pull it off. I couldn't. I couldn't pull off Batman. I would. I would disgrace the image of Batman. I, if I were ever to cosplay, I'd have to come up with. I'd have to come up with the the costume that I could do justice to, and so that probably would put me more in the area of like the Penguin or something. What? <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure. I, I'm ready for that. But I. But I. I do think. Um, when I when I walk around the Comic Cons, the people that that really put the money into those costumes, mm-hmm. boy, I admire that. So I almost want to like give them something. <laughs> I give them like you know, ten bucks or something because they just they, they they you could tell they they uh, I mean they've got these hand sewn outfits that are you know perfect for the alternate universe 
Superman <laughs> series that <laughs> nobody's making a commercial version of that outfit. They had to have made that from scratch, and some of them are just beautiful. Oh, yes, they are. I, I can tell you are passionate about comics. I have right around 6,000 myself, ranging from the 50s all the way to today. I don't like today so much. Do you collect? Do you still read? Or You know, I, I read. I don't collect. I, I did a little bit, but then... What I came to realize is I only like to collect things that I think I can get a sufficient amount of. Mm-hmm. And I I had friends who already were blowing past me with five, six hundred, you know, comic books. So I I have like right now I'm talking to you in a room full of um cartoon cells. Ah. Um so I have a nineteen thirty-eight Daffy Duck um cartoon cell, and I have um every character from Warner Brothers with some signed Chuck Jones and Frizz Freeling mm. cells. So I have that and there's probably about I haven't counted for I was probably about 15 of them in the room right now and I've got some Simpson cells and a couple of, and even some Batman animated cells. But the things I collect from purely from comic books are I I'm really into the iconography. Mm. So I have um I have my uh, Iron Man neon light in my window. Um, I have the, uh, I just received a Star Trek. I know it's not quite comic book, but you know what I'm talking about. Yes. I have a, a Star Trek communicator doggy bag holder for my leash. So if it's hanging from my dog's leash and it looks like the communicator from the uh, from Star Trek from the original series, <laughs> but when you flip it open, it's a dog bag. I pull it. Apart. <laughs> um, I have um, I have a, a Batman cookie jar which I have modified. Um, it was one of the comic book uh, Batman's. I can't remember which one it was. I don't think it was a. I don't think it was. I can't remember which Batman it was. But what I did was I. I found a a photograph of uh, Ben Affleck, mm-hmm. and I blew it up to fit the size of the cookie jar. So now I've made my own Ben Affleck Batman cookie jar. Wow! Uh, even before the movie, and I'm not I'm not crazy about him as uh, as uh, as Batman. But have you was, seen the new costume? I was trying to get used to it. Yeah, it's okay. What do you think? I think it's probably the closest we've had. Since Adam West. Oh, really? To yeah, of that particular style. I, I I agree. I have what I was seeing was the first trailer, and it was still a little bit in the shadows. So I was missing some of the detail from it. I haven't gone back and seen any of the other trailers yet. But um, so you know, that's what I and I have a. I just got my Thor hammer uh, bookend. Mm. It's a replica of the of just the hammer, but it's a bookend, and I love that. That's up in my so that's the kind of thing I, I really I collect more than anything else. Yes. Now let's get into just a little bit of different topic. I know that you are a deacon, right? I am a deacon in the Episcopal Church, correct? Yes. How does the paranormal fit into your spiritual beliefs? I am personally a uh, Southern Baptist, and and I know my own story for that. But how does it fit into your spiritual beliefs? Well. The- you know, fortunately, uh, there's a big emphasis in the Episcopal tradition of freedom of conscience, and so we're not held to a a strict doctrine that says you can believe this but not that. Or there's no razor line we walk um, in our ordination. 
uh, which is good. Uh, I couldn't really have it any other way. That said, I've always been of the belief that there are certain things I'll think about and other things I believe in. And I'll think about almost anything. I mean, that's just how God made me. Mm-hmm. I'm just wired that way. And I, I like to think about things. But it doesn't necessarily mean I believe in them. So I reserve. I have a fairly short list of the things that I would call beliefs. Um, but I'll, you know, I, I I'll spend hours trying to hash out whether um, something is true or not true. And I I think that really is also what it comes down to is I, I never swap belief for truth. Mm-hmm. And I, I I really do want to know factually what has happened. And I like to look and see whether there is proof, any kind of objective proof or scientific proof. And I think that is the difference between uh, between that and faith. I, I, I don't need scientific proof of my Christian faith. Um, if I had proof, I wouldn't need faith. Mm-hmm. Faith is bigger than proof. And so I put my faith in that. But in the other things, I look for proof of it. And I'm sort of you know, I'm really curious whether or not science will have to admit it's wrong on certain things that it's been claiming for years could not possibly be true, um, but in the end just might end up being true. Yes. When I was four years of age, I, I don't tell a lot of people this because I used to, but then they would look at you and call you crazy or that you're making this up. When I was four years of age, I came face to face with a man that we call Jesus. And ever since that point, I've been kind of evolved in a paranormal relationship, if you will, where I've seen ghosts. Apparently, I was abducted by aliens. <laughs> so you can make a movie out of my life, but nobody would believe it. Well, that's interesting. And, and so then if you had a, a, a direct experience like that, though, I'm, I'm going to guess here and say you don't think that that's paranormal. That's just your normal. That's, you know, paranormal to me is something people are calling another part of something that's natural, but they don't understand. Well, okay. And I might say that paranormal is really more like, you know, there's another phrase spelled differently, kind of the same concept though, is perimenopause. Right, and so women who are heading toward the change of life um, start to experience the early um, biochemical changes of perimenopause. It's not menopause yet, but it's also not where they had been before. Mm. And I, I think that that to me is what paranormal is often like. I think we're heading toward that time where some of these things will become normalized. Um, but it's not there yet. And so we're sort of on the around normal part. We're sort of on the outskirts of normal. And I, I think that's where um, where I am with many things. I, I mean, I saw a UFO, very famous incident, and it wasn't just myself. It was somebody else. And we saw a triangulation of them. And it was really something. It was life-changing. I still don't know what it was. I don't know. I can't vouch and say that it was from another planet or anything, but I do know that it wasn't anything I've ever seen before, nothing that no one's ever been able to explain to me, and I don't think I'll ever see it again. But I was blessed by seeing it because it it made me think, again, outside of my normal experience. Mm-hmm. And and so that that's why I would call that a paranormal experience. It's It's something that, you know, it's not going to happen again tomorrow or the day after. 
Um, and but when something is so profound that you you for you it becomes your new normal, like a religious experience. I, yes. I'm always hesitant to ever put paranormal and that kind of experience in the same category. Well, I guess that's right because if you were to go back to the biblical times of Moses or even Jesus, to those people, this was either magic, it was paranormal, it was something that did not fit into their regular mode, and they were afraid of it. Well, it depends what that is. And so in other, in other, some cases, it, it, the other was true that they were expecting, they had an expectation of seeing things that they mm. couldn't explain. And for them, that was part of their everyday experience. It wasn't extraordinary. Um, the, um, and that's, we can, we can say that uh, even perhaps just in the discussion of miracles is that you have an expectation of miracles. Um, and how many miracles have you really witnessed personally in your life or how many does the average person ever really see? But if we, if we think of it in a biblical context, many people there seem to be seeing miracles all the time. Mm. So how miraculous is it if it's something that you're seeing all the time? <laughs> I mean, there's almost an expectation of miracles. I, I kind of like to live there a little bit and just always, every day, somehow expect a miracle. Mm -hmm. I started to ask some of my guests at the end of the program, if they could go back in time, where would they go and what would they do? So what, where would you go and what would you do? Yeah, I, you know, this is a, for a person of faith, this is an interesting question, especially after I just made such a point to say that I didn't need proof, but I would have to say, I would, I would go to Golgotha. I would, I would want to be, I would, I'd want to be at the crucifixion. Mm. Um, I, I don't need to see the, the rolling away of the stone. I don't need to see the resurrection part, but if I were to do anything, I think I would, I would have liked to have witnessed the events as it's described in a couple of different versions in the Bible, I would like to have, I would like to have seen that and, and not because I would have enjoyed watching it, but because I, I think I would, it would connect me in a different way um, to that experience. Um, and it would, there are, you know, there, there's it was such a pivotal time in history, if you think about it, whether one is a person of faith or not, they were still affected by that story mm -hmm. because of how much of especially Western history has been shaped by by faith. And I, I think everybody it would be interesting to be able to go back and and take a film or take bring back a videotape of that and say, <laughs> here it is. This is what really happened. I've always wondered if I were to go back in time to see Jesus. Would he know that I'm not from that time? Would you tell me, Bob, you need to go back now, or I'm going to kick your you-know-what? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. would he? And it would, I guess it would depend. Like maybe if, he, if you were wearing like a fanny pack or something, he'd go, what's that? And he would know you're not from that era. Um, I, uh, or maybe, maybe that would look totally normal. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 I would love uh, also, too, it would be interesting to go back to the beginning of the American Revolution. I think it'd be fun to be a fly on the wall in some tavern somewhere and actually overhear those original conversations of, uh, of revolution. Yes. I think, it would, I think it would just be very exciting. I don't know, for no other reason other than just it would be amazing to think they don't even know yet what they're creating. Mm. If, I, if I could come back with that knowledge and, and hear those conversations, it would be satisfying to think that 
that could never really have dreamed of how far that revolution would go. Mm -hmm. That is true. A listener was wanting me to ask you something, and I don't know if you even remember about this, but it probably not. Uh, yeah, was, <laughs> that's my. But go ahead. Was wanting to know if you if there were any updates that you know of about something called the Smiley Face Killers. Yeah, well, actually, that one I do know. So the uh, Smiley Face Killer story was something we had covered a lot of because it had a connection to the uh, Twin Cities. The, um, the story was a national story. It, it stretched roughly right along the uh, corridor from the, uh, along the major highways from just west of Minnesota um, and then down through Wisconsin, Illinois, up through Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, going all the way out to, uh, to New York. And it was the core of the story was the missing children who are almost all fit a very similar profile of young, good-looking, college-age men who were extremely intoxicated, who disappeared and then showed up in or around water. Um, and there had been some evidence of a spray painted smiley face that was nearby. And that started that story. Well, the update is, and I, I covered this, I think on one of the last shows I did was that they've dropped smiley face as being something that they're even really trying to use as an identifier anymore, because it really doesn't seem to have any contact, uh, uh, any uh, connection there were some of uh, these stories, though, that remain extremely suspicious and do seem to be involve uh, what was suspected to be either individual or individuals working together in a group um, that were uh, coming up to uh, these college kids, luring them away from their friends, taking them down paths perhaps sexually abusing them before creating circumstances where they appeared to drown when, in fact, some of them were later recategorized as homicides. Um, there, there are still many active cases, though some of them have been eliminated um, as being um, connected. Um, that having been said, I will tell you a quick story. So if you have a minute. We have a minute. Um, I heard from a young college, just recent college graduate, good looking guy, uh, non-drinker. Um, he was in Chicago. He had gotten uh, a text from some friends who were celebrating a birthday who said, Hey, come on, we're at the such and such a bar. Um, you know, it's like, you know, three L stops away, come on down and, uh, and come on into this bar and, and celebrate with us. It was 9.30 or something at night, and he thought, okay, what the heck? So he went down to this club. He's standing in line at this club, and there's a, a line of 20 or 30 people to try to get into this club, and he's alone. And a police officer came up to him toward the back of the line and said, uh, are you alone, son? And he said, I am. And he said, are you trying to get into the club? And he said, I am. And he said, but you're alone. You're not with anybody. And he said, no, 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 they're inside. 
And the police officer said, come with me. And they led this police officer led this young man away from the group of people who were in line as he was going down the sidewalk. Somebody else in line said to him as he was going away into the darkness toward the back of this club, the guy said, I don't know what, I don't know why you're going down there with that guy. Hmm. And it jarred him out of it. And he just, at that moment, he just realized, he goes, I just turned around and I went back to the line. And he said, and that police officer or whomever he was just faded into the, uh, into the shadows and walked away. And I thought, okay, that's, that was creepy. And, and maybe that also is a missing piece to this is could there be police officers, people dressed as police officers who are luring some of these young men to what they think is a, a safer place uh, only to be, you know, captured in a van and taken mm-hmm. away. That happens. My wife and I, we were out in Minnesota earlier this year to visit my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. And uh, one of the reports there was talking about a woman early in the morning was being pulled over by fake police officers. And once she realized they were not in uniform, she sped right off. Right. Who knows what would have happened to her? Yeah, this happened to my wife in uh, in Georgia, too. We were driving uh, south of, uh, of Atlanta down to Florida when we lived in Atlanta. And we were down not too far away from the Florida-Georgia border. But we were at this really uh, like a former rest stop, now abandoned we pulled over to switch. I was, I'd been working all day. And so she was going to take over driving. And, um, so I had crawled into the back seat with uh, our then young son and I was just getting comfortable and she was, you know, straightening out her dress or doing something. And suddenly she heard a voice saying, uh, do you have Kleenex? And she was what? And this voice from a car that we hadn't even noticed um, had pulled up and you have a Kleenex. And she said, well, I I think I do. And she started to walk over to the car and I started yelling from the backseat of the car, get in the car, (laughs) get in the car. What are you doing? And she just kind of snapped out of it and she got back in the car. And as soon as she did, they took off about a hundred miles an hour. Huh? What's getting my attention? You're saying that she's snapping out of it and the other person snapped out of it. It's almost like they're in a trance or something. I think that's what happens. I think there's the social engineering of the villainous. I think that's exactly what it is. And it, it does kind of put you in a trance. It, it lulls you in, it, by using something that sounds like either someone needs your help or they can help you. Mm-hmm. And it's in that soft spot of vulnerability um, that I think people um, end up being in a place where suddenly they realize, uh-oh, I've been duped. Um, yes. And when something jars them out of that earlier, it, it is like breaking a spell. Mm-hmm. I was looking at Twitter not too long ago. You were talking about you ended a tweet with what's next, yeah. magic eight ball undies. Yeah, there was, a, there was, a, there was just a, a story about this line of uh, underwear for women that, that now put slogans on there to seemingly remind the person that they are sleeping with to get consent one more time <laughs> before any sexual activity happens. And, you know, and so the uh, embroidered on the underwear said things like, did you remember to ask me or 
I don't think I've said yes yet or something. And it was written on the underwear. And I thought, <laughs> if you're waiting for your underwear to negotiate this relationship, you got other bigger, you have bigger communication problems. And yeah, that's when I said, what, what's next? Yeah. Magic eight ball yeah. underwear. And you know, they're going to work on that. It's going to work the same way a mood ring does. Right. Yeah. It's going to have different slogans on it. I think they actually have mood clothing. I think they already have that. Somebody, somebody texted me or tweeted me right after I wrote that. And they said that, no, 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 that's already been out. Somebody already has that. I don't know how it works, but if, <laughs> if you know about it, maybe that's paranormal right there. <laughs> yeah, it's paranormal, isn't it? It's it's up there with uh, Billy Bass singing underwear. Yeah. Gosh. Well, <laughs> so... Um, the, I'm glad to hear just to go circle back to something that, that art is, um, is, would be coming back on again with his own show something in September. Was that something he was going to sell on his own or it was just going to be available online or how is that going to work? As far as I know, it's just something that he's going to do online. Keith Rowland, his webmaster has a dark matter network where he also has on other live shows right now it's a it's an internet radio network okay and so art bell will i assume come online to that for a live show well good now hope that means he'll be coming on your show too well i've asked him i've invited him and he said right now i am not doing interviews well <laughs> he's a very private person yeah i know a little bit about that but it but when the time's right i hope you will i know he, he had he had a lot to say after the last thing so oh yeah okay I'm sure he'll be back. Well, Ian, I know it sounds like someone was trying to call you earlier. Everybody's always trying to call me. <laughs> I'm always forgetting something. It's not because I'm important. Yeah. It's because I never remember. <laughs> and uh, and so I, I I think I forgot to tell people I was going to be doing this interview because I heard the phone ringing three or four times. Yes. Is there anything you would like to say to all of your listeners your fans right now before we go well you know fans is nice i i just think of as friends i haven't met yet and i really mean that there are we all were part of the same thing and it was lovely to have even just a small piece of coast um something that uh, i take a lot of uh pride in uh, i hope i did my part well i know not everybody likes everybody's style when they sit in that main chair um, but I was grateful to, um, to try to bring a perspective and uh, to try to um, approach different topics than the way the other hosts did in a way that, um, that people remember it fondly. So I'm grateful for that. And I, 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 I really like the idea that Coast is going to continue on and on and uh, that there'll be new people and new stars coming up. And who knows, maybe it'll be somebody who's listening to this podcast right now who could someday take over the the main chair on coast to coast and i look forward to listening to them you know Ian, thank you so much for coming on the program i'm a huge fan of yours we love everything that you do and we hope uh, as in the whole fan base your friend base we hope to one day hear from you again somehow well just like you you know everybody's welcome to follow me at deacon punnett d-e-a-c-o-n P-U-N-N-E-T-T on Twitter, and I try to respond to everybody, and and uh, I'll, I'll follow you, and and just like you and I have done, we can have uh, conversations, uh, you know, that uh, that are just private, and so look forward to keeping in touch with anybody who's interested 
at any time on Twitter at Deacon Punnett. And, and it's, as you know, it's kind of my own little show. I still post usually entertaining things a couple of times a day. So it's, it's a good way to keep in touch. God bless you. Thank you so much. Sir.